0: morning, we're beginning to look uh, at a series we'll be going through in the month of December during our season of Advent uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's the third book in the New Testament between Mark and John, and we'll be starting at the very beginning. And Luke at the beginning gets into the question of certainty. Can you have certainty about things? And around this time of year, there are certain things that we want certainty about. Some of us may feel rather juvenile, but We want certainty, we want to know for certain what is in those packages under the tree. If they're sitting there for a while, we may shake or look or assess and want to know what's in there. Or we may want to know for certain what to get someone for Christmas that they'll actually like or use and not just get thrown in some closet somewhere. We want to know for certain what is the best deal on this item that we want to get for someone else. We want to know for certain, can that guy in the red suit really do it all in one night? We want to know for certain how many pounds we will gain from Christmas cookies over the holiday. But really, most of all, what we want to know for certain is did any of this stuff we celebrate at Christmas really happen? And does it matter whether or not it happened? Did the Christmas story really happen? And well, In the Gospel of Luke, we have Luke's account of the narratives of the birth of Jesus Christ. And he starts even before Jesus was born to God's first sign that something new was starting. And he wants us to have certainty that it happened. So if you would, you can open your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 25. Luke 1, 1 through 25, as we begin looking at Luke that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, Zechariah said to the angel, "'How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years.' And the angel answered him, "'I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent And unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is faithful and true just as you are. And so, Lord, may we hear your word today with open hearts and minds, to hear it as your true and certain word. And, Lord, I humbly ask that you would use me to proclaim your word in spite of my own sin and faults and failings, that it would go forth in truth, and that we would hear your truth, that you would draw us close to you and make us prepared for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Looking at our passage this morning, we see the very beginnings of what is going on here in the Gospel of Luke. We see that he's very concerned about getting all the details right. He wants us to be certain about what he has written. And so in this passage, we're going to see a few different ways we need to be certain. We need to be certain that this stuff actually happened. We need to be certain that God will keep his word. And finally, our hope must be certain rather than wishful. So, as we look here at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we get to meet Luke a little bit, or what he's like. We know from other books in the Bible that Luke was a well educated physician or doctor, and he did some serious investigative reporting on Jesus. And he seems to have done so at the request of a man named Theophilus. And he dedicated his two volume work, that is, the book of Luke and Acts, are two volumes holding together are dedicated to Theophilus, and Luke wants to get at the truth of what really happened that began this Jesus movement. Luke acknowledges that others had written accounts about Jesus, and he wants to write an account as well, but that's not a judgment on the other people and what they have written. Rather, like most great subjects, there is always more to tell. There's always more to share. And so Luke has questions that he wants to answer. Stories he wants to include, information he feels that has not yet been shared with the Christian community, not information that replaces what the others wrote, but that supplements and confirms what they have wrote. And so Luke starts at the very beginning, even before Jesus, not even at the birth of John the Baptist, but at the announcement that one day John the Baptist will be born. It would be like telling the story of your Thanksgiving dinner and starting the story with, well, I sat down with my shopping list and I started to think, what did I need to buy to make Thanksgiving dinner? It's like starting way back at the beginning, the preparations for the preparations. And part of the reason Luke seems to do this is to really ground this story in our world. See, stories can lose their historical accuracy over time, as any fisherman will tell you, that it was this big, then it's this big, and now that, I mean, that fish was huge, and it got away. And so Luke tries to introduce this narrative with very historically concrete information. The story begins in the time of Herod, who was king of Judea. It features an old married couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he gives some details about their ancestry— It's set in the city of Jerusalem at the temple during one of the weeks that Zechariah's divisions was on duty at the temple. Note that Luke does not begin his story once upon a time. He begins it at this particular time, in this particular place, with these particular people. It matters to Luke that this really happened, and he wants Theophilus to be sure that these are not inspirational fairy tales, rather they are life-changing events that really happened in history. In fact, it seems these events happened on what was a very ordinary day. See, twice a day, priests would enter the temple to burn incense, and when they did that, the other priests and worshipers would wait outside the temple and they'd be praying. And you can see from their reaction when Zechariah takes a while to come out, this was just a normal thing. They're like, okay, come on, we got like coffee to get to. And they're waiting, like, what, what's taking this guy so long? We've got a routine here of how we do things on normal days. It was the normal course of worship. Now it was a big deal for Zechariah. It was probably the only time that he would ever be able to go in and burn incense, that there were enough priests that you only got to do it one time. But for everyone else, it was really... Business as usual. Worship as usual. And so when the angel Gabriel appears to him, it would be like if during our weekly prayer of confession, an angel appeared. Or as we're just passing the plates like we do every week, an angel appeared. It was just in the normal course of worship. The whole day would have been routine if not for the angel. In the same way that November 22nd, 1963... Or September 11th, 2001 would have been normal, routine days if not for the events that happened on those days. See, God sent his angel to normal people who were going about their normal business on a normal day. And yet he did so with an announcement that would signal the coming of a very new and important day, a day when God's promises would begin to be fulfilled. And that's why the angel is speaking to Zechariah. He wants to let him know God is ready to fulfill his promises. That there had been many years of silence before Zechariah heard this word from the angels. Over 400 years without any new revelation. A dead period. A period of waiting, of nothing. That the people only had old promises to cling to and to hope in. No one knew how long that period of silence would be. Would it be 40 days, 40 years, 400 years, 4,000 years? And so when the angel Gabriel speaks to Zechariah, it is the breaking of a long silence, an announcement that God is ready to start the next step, to begin to fulfill his promises. And notice how the angel really works up to it. He saves the best for last. Here, Here is how he starts to say these things. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Stop. Wow! We're going to have a baby! This is great! Gabriel could have stopped there, and it would have been a great day full of good news, but Gabriel did not stop there. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Okay, You can choose the name God. Fine. It's your blessing. Okay. Everyone's going to be happy. We've been waiting for a kid. Of course everyone's going to rejoice with us. But Gabriel did not stop there. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. Oh. Our child is going to be a special child. He'll be serving the Lord perhaps as a, a priest. A holy man. This is great. But Gabriel does not stop there. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Our son will be a prophet, inspired by the Spirit to share the word of the Lord even from his youth. But Gabriel did not stop there. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. God's fulfilling his promises. He's going to do it. He is going to fulfill his promises. He promised to send someone like Elijah in Malachi 4. That's what he promised to do. Our son will be that someone He's remembering his promises. But Gabriel did not stop even there. He ends with, To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 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 Prepared for the Messiah. The promised one, the Christ, the one they had waited many years for, the forever king from the line of David, the one who will restore Israel and save his people, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming soon. And so what could have been this great personal blessing for an isolated older couple was going to be the long-waited-for blessing for all of God's people, that this couple who had waited forever with infertility, hoping that God would answer their prayers, God did and more, answering the longing and waiting of his own people to send the Messiah. Yes, there was a lot of waiting involved. But even though God seems delayed in keeping his promises, God shows that he will keep his promises in his own time. As Jessica said, Advent is traditionally understood as a season of anticipation and waiting And so as we wait for Christmas to come, we remember that God's people waited for Christ to come. But we know when Christmas is. We know that he came. And so for us, in a way, the season of Advent is waiting for Jesus to come again. Jesus has promised to come again. We don't know when. We don't know exactly how. But we know God has promised and it will happen. And so we wait and long for it like the Jews did in the time of Zechariah, trusting in God's promises even when it seemed to take forever. And this hope in God's promises is where we are pointed in this passage. See, when we think of hope, we often think of hope in very uncertain terms, like, I hope it doesn't rain today, or I hope the doctor has good news for me. Or, I hope I did well on that test. I hope my spouse or my kids are in a good mood today. I hope five pieces of pizza wasn't too many. But that kind of hope is a very uncertain hope. It is wishful thinking. We wish that those things are true, but we have no real grounds for that. But when it comes to our hope in God's promises, God wants our hope to be certain. That we hope in God's promises, knowing he will keep them. Even if we're not exactly sure how and when he will do so, he wants us to be certain in our hope. And in our passage today, we see the importance of that certain hope. Zechariah hears this wonderful announcement from the Lord and he responds by saying, how shall I know this? I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Notice he didn't call her old, he called her advanced in years. He was very polite. At first glance, it doesn't seem like Zechariah gave that bad of a response. And yet, when Gabriel responds, it's clear, like, oh, he did mess up somehow. What happened? Well, Gabriel responds in quite a funny way to the objection that Zechariah says, I am an old man. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and brought you this news. What more do you want? And so Zechariah is going to be unable to speak, and he's told why. Because you did not believe Gabriel's words. You did not believe my words. Zechariah did not take God's clear word for certainty. He wanted further proof, which technically he gets in the form of his muteness. So be careful asking God for a sign. He may make you mute. But still, we might say like, okay, but Zechariah had a point. How is he any different from Mary? Just a few verses later, as we'll see next week, Mary says to a very similar announcement from the angel, how shall this be for I am a virgin? You're like, those seem very similar. But then you have to go back and think, isn't Zechariah a priest, a faithful priest? Shouldn't he know the history of God's people? The idea that God giving an old, barren couple a child, that's kind of his calling card. He's done it plenty of times before. He should know this is possible if he says it will happen. Whereas Mary has more grounds for her confusion, God's never done that thing before. And so it's clear here that Zechariah had a lack of faith. He didn't trust the Word when he had every reason to trust it. His lack of faith is then contrasted with his wife, Elizabeth, and her patient, certain hope. Her husband, surely, though we don't read about it, came home and told her all about what happened. Whether he wrote it down, he tried to have her read his lips, or they played a crazy game of charades. We don't know what happened. But he shared this. And Elizabeth and her words here tell us that she felt a very strong sense of shame from her barrenness. She felt different, isolated, that she had a sense of reproach from her peers who were able to look on their kids and grandkids that they had. And yet, instead of immediately running out and shouting the news to everyone, she remained secluded, knowing that God, soon enough, will give her certain proof of His Word, waiting five months, about the time it takes to start showing so that she can go out to her friends, to her family, and say, God said this, and look, it was certainly true. She waited for the sign of certainty to show others that God's promise was true. And so this older couple from 2,000 years ago encourages us to listen for God's word to us. Now, as we say after we sing the open our eyes, Lord, we hear from Jesus not by meditating and hoping he whispers something. We hear from God in his word. I think it's, though possible, rather unlikely that an angel is going to appear to any of you and speak to you, but God has given us his word, his written word that is certainly true. Not just because Luke researched it really well, but because if it's God's word, God always speaks truth. And the word for us in this passage is found particularly in verses 16 and 17. This is what Gabriel says about John's future ministry. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready... For the Lord a people prepared. The ministry of John the Baptist was one of preparation, of getting ready for Jesus, and the way people were called to get ready for Jesus was by repenting of their sin, recognizing they can't fix their sins on their own, that they need God to save them. Is that not our ministry as well? John was preparing people by calling them to repent before Jesus's ministry. We seek to prepare people by announcing the good news to repent before Jesus comes again. See, we are called to trust in Jesus as our only hope of salvation. That God tells us in his word that we are all sinners who deserve judgment for sin. That no matter how hard we try, we can never be good enough. We can never earn our salvation. And so our only hope is to trust that Jesus has done all that is necessary to save us, that the child we celebrate at Christmas was born to live the life we never lived but should have, and to die the death we never die yet should have. Jesus was born as a child so that we might become children of God. And like with Zechariah, there are consequences for not Trusting and putting our hope in this certain word. It may seem silly to the world, like Elizabeth's pregnancy announcement, but in time, God's word that we must repent for the end is near will become clear. He will fulfill his promises. Jesus is coming back again. And so our words to repent and trust in Jesus will one day be shown as the certain words of God. And until then, we are called to put our trust and our hope in the good news of Scripture and to share that good news with others, calling them to repent and believe in Jesus. We may feel silly trusting in this word when we don't see a lot of signs of certainty. And yet, like Elizabeth waiting for her pregnancy, like the people of God waiting for the Messiah to come, we can be sure that God keeps his promises. And so until then, let us hope in God's promises, knowing they are sure and unwavering, knowing for certain that Jesus has come into the world and he is coming again. Amen. Let us pray. O oh, merciful God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came to be our Savior. And we thank you that you have promised he is coming again to make all things new, to finally save us, but also to judge the living and the dead. And we pray that you would help us to trust in the good news and to share that good news with others, that none should perish but should hear and believe in Jesus. Lord, help us to be good news people as we wait for his return. In Jesus' name, amen.